This is MC Fireside Chats, a weekly show devoted to the outdoor hospitality industry, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. You'll hear from special guests that focus on topics to help your business succeed, all backed by Modern Campground, the most innovative news source in the industry. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of MC Fireside Chats. My name is Brian Searle with Insider Brooks. We are missing Kara today. She couldn't make the show, so we hope to see her back next week. But we're super excited to have Demo and Neil with us from Skyweb Networks. We're going to talk to us about some wireless routing, geeky, all kinds of really awesome advice for your campground. And then we've got Sandra here from the Nova Scotia Provincial Park System, right? Sandra, is that correct? What's your official title? I'm so sorry. I don't know off the top of my head. Parks Promotion and development officer at Nova Scotia Parks. Awesome. So Sandra is responsible for making sure that we see all the beautiful, natural things that happen over Nova Scotia. And I'm jealous because I haven't been there yet. But she's going to talk to us about some provincial parks, things like that. So we're super excited to have her here. It's one of those weird episodes. It's a little bit of an off day. It's our fifth show of the month. So we're a little bit light on guests today. And as you can see, I'm indoors where I don't want to be because there's very heavy winds outside. So I've got this plain white background behind me and my dog's blanket and her toys. We're going to have a fun show, but super excited to be here as always with you guys. As just a reminder, you can catch the show afterwards if you're not watching it live on social media, on Facebook, on our website, moderncampground.com, and as a podcast on Spotify, Google, and all those kinds of places. So why don't we start with you, Sandra, because I'm a little bit biased because I'm in Calgary and I'm not actually a Canadian. I've immigrated up here in the last year and a half, but uh, really loving the outdoors, the mountains over here by Banff and I feel like you guys are very comparable, not mountain-wise, but nature and beauty-wise over there. So tell us a little bit about Nova Scotia and what you do with the park system. Yeah, so Nova Scotia, it's a smaller province on the east coast of Canada and surrounded by the Atlantic Ocean. So lots of kilometers of coastline, lots of beautiful beaches. We have over 200 provincial parks, park properties, and 20 of those are campgrounds. So we have lots of camping opportunities across the province, great hiking trails, places to paddle. So yeah, lot, lots of nature, lots to explore here and a whole lot of diverse landscapes throughout the province. Don't have the mountains, but different rolling hills and valleys and lakes and streams. So yeah, it's really beautiful place. Might be a bit biased, but you're welcome to come out here anytime. Oh, I don't think you're biased. I think I've seen so many pictures and so many things that I, yeah, it's tops on my bucket list. Probably uh, I did get a trip out to BC in, but I haven't been like, I've been to Toronto, Ottawa, but, but I haven't been farther East than that yet. So it's definitely on my list. Now you're responsible for basically like the promotion of all the provincial parks, making sure that consumers are aware of them and what they're doing and how much fun they can have attending them. And so you do that equally for all the parks, right? Yeah. We try to represent the province like the whole province and all of the parks. So am I allowed to ask you what your favorite ones are or can you not answer that? Oh, I can answer that. Yeah. So a few different ones for camping. I like to go to Salzman, which is on the Eastern shore. It's nice and quiet, beautiful views of the water it's on country harbors. Yeah. Just beautiful spot out of the way off the beaten path. Then, so I go car camping there usually once a year. Then we also have Cape Chignecto, that's along the Bay of Fundy, and it's one of our most remote wilderness parks. So it's got a 52-kilometer coastal hike, so you can camp along the way or you can stay in cabins, so like a hut-to-hut backcountry camping experience there. So that one provides a different experience than the other provincial parks. So those two for camping. Beaches, I like to go to Martinique along the eastern shore. Queensland on the South Shore, and then hiking, we've got Cape Split is one of the most iconic hikes on the mainland of Nova Scotia outside of Cape Breton. So Cape Split, it's in the Annapolis Valley and just beautiful cliffs. There it is. The reward you get at the end is coming out to that point of that cape of land sticks out. Yes, listen, I'm just going to go there right now. Can you guys just host the show without? That's beautiful. That's, I can't. Yeah. 
Yeah. So there uh, we made some improvements there. Cape Split the last couple of years, it was always just a, an out and back trail and people said it's worth the hike, but the view is really at the end. So uh, over the past couple of years, we built a looped trail there. So on the uh, others on the Scotts Bay side of it, uh, there's actually multiple lookoffs um, along the other side where you can see some coves and and some new views that you wouldn't have seen before. And so now it's actually a looped trail instead of an out and back, 13 kilometers total round trip. So it's a good day out there and good time. You can have a little picnic out at the meadow at that at the point there. And it's a really cool spot for migratory birds. I saw a peregrine falcon there once. So yeah, just a lot of untouched nature out here. Well, and that's what I like. That's my preference. That's part of the reason that I actually chose Calgary. I like the hiking in the mountains and nature. And if you can blend that with camping, then really, is there a better experience? Perhaps maybe lying on a beach somewhere, but you guys also have beaches over there, don't you? I think it's, I think it's really one of my preferences. Demo, and I forgot the other gentleman's name. Sorry, I'm looking at the tab. Demo Neal. You would think I would have forgot Demo because it was more of a unique name than Neil. But you guys, uh, before we get into the internet stuff, have you, are you regular campers yourselves? Do you prefer your provincial parks or private parks or? I'll be honest. I didn't think Canada had such beautiful parks. I love going to Canada, but. Oh man, you haven't seen anything. Like Canada is, yeah. It's amazing. The U.S. has its parks, but Canada, I think, and maybe I'm biased because I live here now too, but I feel like our provincial parks and national parks are on another level up here. From what you showed me, yes. I mean, you, and you've only seen one. Like, that was just one or like a couple in Nova Scotia. Like, yeah, it was kind of blowing away. 20 total ones, Sandra? Is that what you said? No, over 200. Over 130 oh. day use and tw 20 camping. Yeah. That's amazing. A lot. <laughs> a lot. Yeah, I don't know how many there are between, like, I mean, I'm in, if you don't know where Calgary, I'm not going to pull up a map now. But between Calgary and like literally the ocean of BC is all mountains, rivers, parks, national parks, like endless all the way up north and down. It's crazy. I could spend probably 17 lifetimes here and not see it all. <laughs> so it's beautiful there. Yeah. And to be clear, like the U.S. has a lot of beautiful parks, but I feel like it's, I don't know if it's more condensed here and all up for all and just kind of one area versus spread out. But anyway, so Sandra, tell us what's your kind of process here as you look to promote these parks. How do you decide what gets improved year to year? How do you decide what to focus on one year over the next, as far as budget goes and things like that? Cause obviously it's finite. You don't have unlimited money, right? Yeah. We, sometimes we collaborate with partners like tourism, Nova Scotia, where they may come to us with <clears throat> wanting to invest in some of the iconic sites like Cape Split there. That was a partnership with tourism, Nova Scotia. We. Yeah, so we look at the values of the parks and if it's for high value for tourists, another example of that would be Lawrencetown Beach. So that's just outside of Halifax on the Eastern Shore, very popular surf destination. So we know surfing is getting more and more popular here. So we're investing in the infrastructure there to improve the overall experience that you have at the beach. So putting in new amenities for cyclists and surfers and anyone wanting to enjoy that beach. So yeah, we have a large system of parks and lots of requests for projects. So we have to look at health and safety. If there's things that really need to be repaired for a safety reason, then that, that would get a priority over something else. And yeah, looking at where we're going to get the best bang for our buck in terms of usage of the park, or maybe the potential usage of the park, because we know which parks are currently the most popular for visitors. And then we also have some that have room to grow and still have capacity to take on more visitors. So those ones we're looking at, can we add more, say, service campsites or what can we do to better promote some of those with capacity to let people know how beautiful they are. When you were on our website there, the home page landing page is Thomas Riddell Provincial Park, which is down the South Shore. And a lot of people don't know about that one. It's relatively close to Kejimakujik National Park, but out on the coast. Yeah. Yeah. That background there is that's Thomas Riddell. And Park. people don't know about that? No. People look at that photo and don't even know if it's in Nova Scotia. 
with the color of the water, white sand beaches. It is, yeah. yeah, it looks like almost the Caribbean a little bit, though the water does. Yeah. Yeah. That's anyway. Okay. So I'm going to just sit here and look at pictures all day if I don't talk about something. <laughs> but so specific, I'm curious how the park system works up here, if you'll indulge me for a minute. And it's coming just from a place of my own ignorance, being an American and growing up and understanding how those things do in the States. Like we have the Great American Outdoors Act that recently passed from the national level down here a couple of years ago, and they're doing a, another Outdoors Act now. So for the funding for you guys, does that come primarily from the province? Is some of it private? Does you get federal grants? How does that work? Yeah, it's it's primarily from the province. So I work for the province, and uh, and the provincial parks are part of the province. Like we're not we're not a separate park agency. I know it is different in different jurisdictions across Canada. There's there's different operational models and ways of running parks, but we are all government employees. Our parks are primarily operated from the. May long weekend, uh, Victoria Day long weekend in Canada, about the middle of May to Canadian Thanksgiving. So around the second week of October. So we have seasonal staff who come on just for that time period to do the regular maintenance of the parks and operating the camping parks as well. If you had, and this is a hypothetical question, I'm just curious, I tend to ask people this, but if you had unlimited funding, what would you do first? <laughs> wow. Because obviously, if you're working for the park system, you have a real love for the outdoors, as we've already established. And you see all these volunteers that, that come to the park system and work seasonally. They all have a love for the outdoors. So what I'm asking really is, what is your passion project, if you could do anything that you wanted to do? Yeah, so that's a good question. I think we're getting, we are getting more people ODAT parks. So I think there's educational opportunities to talk to people, whether they're new campers or new visitors, to get across kind of some conservation messages, talk to people how to be respectful to the environment and the park and making sure they're cleaning up after themselves and being respectful of other visitors with noise levels, that sort of thing. Yeah, I think we, there's certainly opportunity for more programming in our parks, as well as like an interpretive programming, looking at wildlife. We do have some of that going on, but could have more. Yeah, it's hard to say for the whole, for so it's many hot. different parks. <laughs> Every, everybody has their own wish lists. One thing we have been working on is accessibility improvements as well. As a whole province, we're trying to be more accessible. We know we have an aging population and lots of people with different needs living in Nova Scotia and visiting Nova Scotia. Going back a few years, we did some accessibility audits and looked at what are some ways we can improve access to whether it's swimming, water opportunities, fishing, or just look-offs and views. So we have been investing in that with adaptive equipment and beach mats in certain parks. So that's something that you can feel good about when you see someone using that infrastructure that really needs it. It's really great to see. So making parks more accessible to everyone is something I'm passionate about for sure. Awesome. Thank you. I want to touch on some of your parks that offer camping in a second, but first I want to pivot real quick to Demo and Neil to talk a little bit about some technology, Wi-Fi, things that people are interested in. And, and I feel like that probably translates in some ways to the overnight stays at your parks too. So I'm sure we'll find a way to segue that in a second. And feel free to jump into the conversation anytime you want, Sandra. I really appreciate you being here. So Demo and Neil, Skyweb Networks, tell us, there's obviously a lot of data and a lot of surveys that come out, campers want Wi-Fi. They need Wi-Fi. They need faster internet. You've got to have the best. You've got to have fiber and satellite. And now we've got, what is Elon Musk's thing called? I can't, I feel like Starlink. I had a, sorry, brain part there. Couldn't remember. All these different places, all these different sources. What are you hearing? What's the gist of what your company's hearing as far as what's next or what's coming? Or what does a park need, I guess, at a basic level? Let's start there. So you're absolutely correct. When everyone goes camping, they all want to be connected. For example, a mom goes camping with her kids and they take the kids to like the lake or oceanfront, let's say. They want to capture those pictures and share them with the family members. So more and more uh, campgrounds are wanting to be connected. Now the challenge is that not everybody can get availability in broadband in rural America. And that's where Starlink is assisting and also LTE options. 
that are available that it allows us to get into those nooks and crannies for some of these parks that couldn't offer Wi-Fi before, but now for the first time are able to actually offer internet. So when we talk about uh, the demand for internet, right? And there's obviously there's two people on both sides of this argument and I'm both ways. I lean both ways. I'm like, well, you're going camping. You're in a beautiful place like Nova Scotia's provincial parks, for example. Go out, go hiking, look at the mountain, take the picture, but then you can share it a little bit later, maybe when you're back at your hotel or you're in the campsite with Wi-Fi or if there's not that on-demand thing. But I understand, obviously, I work from the road too. So how, do, how what's the balance there? That's exactly right. What we've seen over the last three years with the pandemic, with the whole entire lockdown, there was a major shift of remote work. And I've talked to numerous parks where some of their businesses have increased 300% in their bookings. And that's due because they have good internet and mom and dad are able well, to work solely though. students. I'm sorry. Let's just, I just want to pause you for a second. Cause sure. I don't think that solely, yes, a lot of people are up 300% and it is due to, there's a, di it's a difference maker, right? Having yeah. internet that you can actually use versus drops out every time, or you can't stream on or things like that. But I don't know if we want to say it's solely responsible to just the internet, is it? If you have data, correct me if I'm wrong. If we talk, the part that Neo's referencing, they were semi-shut down. So it did, they did see a considerable jump up. We regularly get calls, like for instance, we got a call from an Ohio park and he truly was being honest. He said, I'm up 30% and his account said they didn't know where to apply to. So the park owner called us and he said, I'm he was actually asking a genuine question. I just want to know where does this do? So what happens after we got that call, it was two years ago, something like that, is we really evaluated that. And so what happens is if people can work at the campgrounds, especially with like Neil said, COVID, they have to work. And if you look at the national statistic, 79% of the parks in the U.S. either have internet and it doesn't work or don't have it at all. And they have where, given up. I'm sorry. Where are you pulling the stat from? Just so we can cite it for our audience. It was oh. in Woodall's magazine. Okay. A national thing. So they did a study. It looks, it was just a survey. How many, what's the percentage of parks that have working? So they could have answered it. For instance, like the question could have been, do you have internet accessible throughout your park? And can everybody use it when the park is more than 50% full? Okay. So that would be something like that. It wouldn't be like, do you have internet? Cause the fact is even every, almost every park has a hotspot. That's one thing they haven't been able to figure out is how do we put everybody on at the same time and then what if everybody was trying to stream? For instance, I'll give you a case study. This park that's in, in is Lake of Dreams Campground. It's located in Miro, Michigan. It's 250 lots and 150 of those are seasonal. So that means from April to October. It's a six month season. Typically, I don't know what it is in Canada, but the Northern parks like North of Tennessee. They're, they typically open April 15th to October 15th. And then as you work your way south, they're open all year round. But even the parks that are down south, they like Florida, for instance, they have a dramatic downturn between April and September. Why? They just, they're it's too hot there in the summer. So they leave. So getting back to this case study, we did this uh, two years ago. What we wanted to know is if everybody was on at the same time, how much bandwidth would this park draw? Okay. Now we picked this location because we were able to get a 200 meg fiber there. So we knew we had some upside. So the question is without traffic shaping, where would it end up? Okay. So. We picked Memorial Day because Michigan, that's like the kickoff to summer. All the parks are usually full. And there was 626 active IP devices. So that would be how many people were using it at that time. And the usage, we were looking at it and it was around 45 megs. 
Okay. So we disabled it just to see, okay. Cause this would simulate, this would be a test to see, to back that 79% stat. This is why parks cannot stream. If you were to say, I have 50 megs charter at the house. Can you put 600 people on? No, one's going to say it'll work. You know what I'm saying? So that's where we're going with this. So we disabled it. And within 42 seconds, it hit the limit of 200 max. So that's all we had there. So when that limit was hit, that's when problems came. People were complaining. So the theory here is it's not unlimited bandwidth. You need to manage the bandwidth. Okay. Give you an example, 250 lots. If we divide the 626 active connections divided by the lots, it comes similar to 2.5 active connections per lot. We need these analytics because when we have parks from all over the country calling, we need to be able to answer anything they throw at us. Some right, parks. Here's my question. I'm sorry. I don't know. Yes. Let's get, cause some, I feel like we're on the cusp of maybe uncovering a couple useful stats for parks here. What I'm hearing you say is that you did a test with 600 and some people over Memorial Day, mm -hmm. you capped bandwidth it. 50 megs or whatever out of 200 available and it was working fine. But then when you uncapped it, obviously all the things went to heck. Correct. And so my question is, how do you as a park operator, let's assume that you want to provide better internet by doing traffic shaping, things like that, right? Capping certain activities or limiting bandwidth per site or whatever you want to do. How do you determine what that number is that you should be capping people at and does the does it impact that number based on wanting to provide a still decent user experience? In other words, if I have to, if I only have 10 megs or 20 megs available, I obviously have to cap the things, but do I cap it in such a way that they can't do any streaming? So, question. yeah, so we're not capping anything. So let me give you an example of what I mean by traffic shaping. Okay. So in this example, 600 plus devices, a lot of them are cell phones, correct? Yep. So what happens is when Google or Apple launch an update, okay, those are low priority, obviously. Any cut a man to the router, a router has no brains. It just, its job, if it has 50 megs coming in, is to send it as fast as they can and in plain English, electricity speed to that requesting IP or device okay. an update on your cell phones have most of the time, people don't even know an update came in the cell phones, their program, if it detects an update to automatically do it, install it. Yes. So 95% yep. of the time, people don't even know these things are downloading in the background, but when that request for that Google update hits, the router is sending, if you got 50 megs, 50 megs for that update, it's silly, a good traffic shaper will do several things. For one thing, it will prioritize the different types of traffic. So how do you do that? Way back when the internet was invented, there's in the beginning of each packet, there's what they call ports. Like for instance, email, port 25, streaming is port 80. So you read the header and you prioritize it. And so when it sees this is an update, let's not give it 50 megs. Cause that, that will, if you got 600 people in a park and you got 50 megs, forget it. This is why parks don't have, they have internet, but you might as well say they don't be fast and all at the same time. So how do you, if, if I'm a traditional park owner and every park mm -hmm. owner is different, of course, but how do I, what is the rundown from your mind, from a skyway perspective, based on your study, what do I prioritize at the top and okay. what do I prioritize at the bottom? Okay. So. If we get, um, I use a park, for example, we had a park as a hundred cabins, but they only had 10 megs. Okay. So after doing it for 20 years, you start to develop analytics that tells you the minimum of bandwidth that you need for a good running. Well, so I hear you and I, and I know you're going to get somewhere, but just specific to my question before we lose track, do I say Netflix is number one priority? Do I do email then? What's underneath that? Like in the oh, order, in just a generic order of things. So you're, we treat all high level is streaming. That's priority. Okay. Basically updates, they get pushed to the bottom. Basically that's unless 
sometimes we get a client that has a specific application and we can take, we can do that. Okay. They would have to give us more info, but as a general rule, bad traffic is defined on the internet and it's defined by priority level. Okay. So to, like answer, to answer that, I think a little bit layman's terms is what we're referring to is good traffic is active browsing traffic, video streaming, Facebook, social media. And then the bad traffic is the background traffic. That's got a lower priority. So what we tend to do is like the iPhone updates that Devo mentioned, we'll compress those during peak periods of a park. Cause that's when things go south. Everybody comes in Friday, the park is full. And then that's when your internet is going to get hammered. So during congestion times, it's ideal to limit the amount of background traffic to allow more foreground traffic. And so it gives you an example. better. Because what yeah. they're doing right I now mean, on the internet or Netflix, they can see, but they can't see the background iPhone update. Bingo. And it just might bingo. be in the background. You got I'm, it. I'm a geek too. But I'm trying to people. dumb it down in a way so the people who aren't weird geeks like us can understand <laughs> right. it, right? Yeah. Yep. Like people aren't going to complain that their iPhone update took five hours. Well, what they are going to complain about is I can't watch Netflix. So yep. uh, I'm curious, and I just want to involve you a little bit, Sandra, as we go back and forth here. Does Nova Scotia do anything with Wi-Fi at its provincial parks, either camping or not camping? Is that a concern for you guys at all? Or Yeah, no, it was interesting. So just at our 20 camping parks, we do have Wi-Fi limited to around the park office. So I guess that's like the hot spot of just at at the office. So you'll see people sitting on the benches and gathering around where that reaches. And uh, I think campers' expectations are going up and they're wondering, can that be extended out further? And our cell phone coverage is hit and miss. It's pretty good at the majority of parks, but there are difficult areas and uh, areas with little to no coverage. So cell phone coverage can be a challenge. So we are looking at if there's their fiber op in the area, if we can connect to that to get better services. And yeah, one thing I was thinking of as you were speaking is how that can also impact our vendors and like a rent rental businesses within our parks. So we have folks that offer rental paddling equipment, surfing equipment, a few canteens as well, and they need reliable internet Processing. for their payment. Processing, yeah. So it is a concern for them as well. So how do you, and I'm curious, we're, we're going to figure out a way to segue these two, because I think there's a, an interesting crossover here, right? So how do you, as a, as somebody who operates provincial parks, markets them in your case, but still has an in-depth knowledge of them, how do you decide what to prioritize? Like we were talking earlier about what your projects were that you would do, right? The campers want this stuff. There's increasing need for it. It's also expensive. So how do you decide, do I improve a trail this year or do I install a new Wi-Fi system? Is it purely based on consumer demand or? No, I think there's, yeah, there's a whole operations committee that, that looks at the different requests and uh, yeah, what's going to be the best improvement to the visitor experience. But like I was saying before, also, is it a safety concern or is it more of a nice to have? So yeah, I think right, right now we would be treating Wi-Fi as more a nice to have, but uh, yeah, I think some people might be disappointed on the range of the current Wi-Fi at our parks. I think it's also, I think it's different based on your use case, right? We're talking, we frequently have a lot more private campground owners on this show just because of the kind of business we're in and the, the audience reach we have than we do people from public parks. Partially that's because you guys are so busy and you have a shortened season and there's less of you, right? There's less of you running promotions for a provincial park than there are independent private campgrounds. But I think there's a different consumer mindset when you go to each two. So if you're at a private campground, you're probably, for the most part, unless you're a larger resort, you're staying there to go somewhere else, to see a provincial park or to see a hiking trail or a mountain or to go to a museum or an amusement park or things like that. And when you're at the campground, I think there's more of an emphasis then on, I need connectivity. It has to be fast. It has to be prioritized. I'm going to do my streaming. I'm going to do my internet browsing. And then when I'm at the activity outside of the campground, I don't necessarily need the internet. And so with provincial parks, when you're there, and this is just me, correct me if I'm wrong. This is just my assumption. When you're at a provincial park, I'm there to see, that's my activity. That's my, yes, I'm camping there, 
but I'm there to look at the views and do the hiking and hike and go along the beaches and see the beautiful water at the park. I already forgot the name of it. I'm going to Google after the show. But so I think there's less of a demand then for that Wi-Fi. It's a nice to have, like you're saying, but I think if it's not there, people are still going to be happy with the experience because of what's in front of their eyes. Is oh, yeah. Fair? Yes. And we also, like our average stay, length of stay is just around two nights. So a lot of the local Nova Scotians, they would just be coming for a weekend visit. Or if you're a tourist, maybe you're moving along, staying at different parks, different nights. So we don't offer seasonal camping at our provincial parks and the maximum stay would be 14 nights, but uh, you'd be lucky to get 14 nights in a row at some of the parks. Yeah, they broke up crazy fast. Are you guys having as good of a season this year as you did last year? I'm curious. Yeah, yes. So yeah, I don't have the latest occupancy stats, but just based on our opening of reservations, which we do that in the beginning of April for the season. So our opening period in April for the reservation launch was similar to last year, you can continue to make a reservation anytime throughout the season. So that could be through our online, through the call center, or when you arrive at the park. So we have relaxed a lot of our COVID restrictions this year. And so that means you can show up to a park without a booking and book on site. But yeah, it looks good. We saw a similar number of reservations made and some longer stays. So our overall number of camper nights overnight stays is around the same. And 2021 was actually record-breaking year for Nova Scotia parks. So we're really pleased with that. That's awesome. More people that can get out there and enjoy that stuff, the better, I think. It's hard to find like an unhappy person who's outside hiking, right? Yeah. It's usually the unhappy people who stay inside. Like I am today. I'm unhappy because I can't be outside. But anyway, Demo, Neil, I'm going to I'm gonna be an antagonist here with your own product, right? Because you do Wi-Fi and we, we obviously we know Wi-Fi is important. And we see the endless studies from KOA and the sessions that happen at individual conferences, both on a national and state level, you need Wi-Fi. Your guests are demanding Wi-Fi. We've heard it for years and years and years and years. As a private park owner, or honestly, as a provincial park too, there are things that I need to prioritize. Like we talked to Sandra, right? It's a trail versus Wi-Fi. If I'm looking at a park owner from a park owner perspective, how do I decide that Wi-Fi is my number one? Because it's not always even though you guys might want it to be, how do I decide where to spend that finite number of funds that I have? That's what, a good what makes Wi-Fi the, the top priority for the year or the next project that they need to work on? So each property is unique in its form, but more so it's their financial situation. A lot of properties are looking to increase bookings and per the KOA studies, and this, the stats a couple of years ago, when I was out in Napa, it was like 45%, up to 45%. If you didn't have internet, they were going to the next park. So a lot of the smaller campgrounds are losing bookings because they're going to the next bigger conglomerate campgrounds. So in order for them to compete and maintain their, their business, we're seeing a lot of them are losing bookings due to not having Wi-Fi. So by monetizing the Wi-Fi and also offering certain areas free, for example, like a clubhouse at Sandra State, like a, a store or laundromat facility, give it to them free there and then monetize it throughout the other park. It's helping generate revenue for the property and increasing their viability, if you will. So it's really each property is different in how they gauge what's important. We tried to set up a system, Brian, where the park can pay for the system pretty much from day one. So if they were, for instance, if they were to lease it, get a finance, we try to set them up with the technology where it'll pay for itself. And now their users, like KOA did a study two years ago, and they actually put internet as one of the four utilities, three or four utilities that was in right. uh, the KOA. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like they've done that. And I don't mean to cut you off again. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. I'm going to focus on the data because I think it's important to try to unpack some of this stuff. Because you're right. KOA did put that out and we've all heard it. Like from us who attend industry conferences or I regularly did before COVID and then every, and then I moved to Canada and they're far away from me now. For those of us who regularly attended, we've then had Wi-Fi beat into us for six, eight, nine years. You need this. You have to have this. But yet some of these parks are continuing to survive and 
arguably thrive because of it. And no one's saying that you should ignore it. Like I'm, I want the fastest speeds possible in my house and when I travel because I'm a geek and I like to do all this. And there is a demand for streaming. But at what point do you say, I've got $50,000 to spend this year? It's between improving my sewer system, doing better landscaping around the park, or enhancing my Wi-Fi. That would probably come with what does the park owner wish? He's going to have to make those priorities. So but he's got to. Are there any, are there, I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. We're just like, are there, is there a point or is there a study or a data set or ways that they can gather this information to say my customers are at a point where a significant majority of them are complaining about my speed. And if I flip this switch and it's going to make an instant noticeable improvement. So that would be the park owner is going to have to run some survey, some question. I don't have that data, so I, I can't answer that. For instance, let's say the park owner, there's a complaint on the sewer and they would really want a full hookup. So obviously the tenant, the tenants, the park people that are staying in there, they would like that. So every park is unique. Those priorities vary dramatically from park to park. How we get those is by having a consultation with the park owner. And they're pretty good about letting us know yeah, what their priorities are. The consumer kind of drives that conversation. A lot of times they'll go to the owners and they're saying, hey, the internet's terrible. If they get one complaint, big deal out of a thousand. But if they get a couple hundred complaints in a month, all right, we better fix it. And that's what we're hearing in the industry. They come to us and, hey, I need to fix my internet. I'm hearing it's terrible. Like Sandra, she might have some needs that they're going to her. Am I wrong? Something that people in your parks are asking for. So the source of that is the management at the park or the ownership. It all flows through there. It's a conduit. And when they call us, right, they already have this queued up. They tell us, I have a problem with support. I have no bandwidth. I have. So they're already outlined what their issues is at that because they want to hit those problem areas immediately. So they want to see what do we, how can we help with those problem areas? Do you have any data surrounding, and I, and I think you're right, by the way, to surveys, feedback, customer, looking at your reviews, things like that. It is the easy low hanging fruit to determine what people are complaining about and what they're unhappy with. Do you have any data? You talked briefly about charging people in some areas and not in other areas. I know I get irritated sometimes when I go to hotels and they want to charge me for faster internet or certain areas. Do you have data that you could share or any kind of sense of does that? I'll give you an example. So let's say this park calls, they have a problem, but they, what we see typically is the people that have free internet, it's free for a reason because it doesn't work when everybody's on stream and whatever. So they don't want to charge for it because they don't want any back. So right. once we tell them we can, we can help you monetize it and then they come up, I've been giving it free. So they have, we got to give them the angle, how to structure it. And so one of the things we came up with, okay, we'll monetize it. If you have a fifth wheel and you're going to watch streaming TV in the evening for entertainment. We'll monetize that. But since you have free right now, let's limit that to, let's say the pool area, the picnic area and give it full speed. So there's no slowdown. Now you have the best of both worlds. So in the good Sam's book, if it says internet available, yes, free, you're not lying. You're, you have free. You didn't say that it's every part of the park. So but it's creating a little deceptive though, isn't it? I feel like if I saw free internet and I got to the park and it was only free in certain areas, I'd be angry. They're not lying. They're, they just want to know, do you have free internet? Yes, no. So there's no right. spot to say yes, but poor. Now, if the customer's calling, they can email, get clarification. The main thing is they just want to know, is there free internet at the park that I could use? So how every park owner treats it, that's up to them. We don't, we don't try well, to tell them. Yeah, but, but they're usually listening to your recommendations in many cases, right? Cause they're coming right. to you as the experts. So in my mind, like it's it, as a consumer, just speaking from consumer perspective, I've never owned a campground, right? I'm not opposed to paying for faster internet to stream in my trailer, but I would want free internet available to me 
regardless of where I am in the park, if you're advertising free internet, that would make me less angry. Yeah. If they ask, can you get free internet or you, we, you always gotta be truthful. We don't, we're not misleading. If, if we do have parks, they're mix a mixture, like some of this free throughout the park, and then you can upgrade to higher bandwidth packets if it's available up in that area. But every property is unique and we can offer recommendations, but sometimes the park owner will say, offer free and then give them the upgrade option. It's also listed on there that free a designated area. So you are saying that you're not just saying free and come, they find out. So it'll say free in these locations. So you're forthcoming. What do you think is the, if you were a park owner, mm -hmm. what do you think is the best path to do this? Cause there are basically three ways I see in my mind is limiting it to the specific areas. Like you're saying, and I agree with you, if you disclose everything very clearly and you're not trying to be deceptive or hide or surprise when you get here, it's only available here. It's all about expectations. I think you can manage them, but there's that way. There's the free everywhere with a paid speed increase option. And then there's the free everywhere for whatever and raise mm -hmm. it and build that into your rates. And so that way, that's a good question. And I'll give you an actual park that we did a five-year hosted. So this park is called Goddard. It's in Pennsylvania. And initially when we went into the campgrounds, there was some request. Can we give a free, but a lower speed, right? And then if they want to pay for it to go to a higher speed. Obviously we can do that. We did do that. This is what we found out at Goddard. So we had a tech on site and 11 guests went up there and they said, Hey, how come the internet is not working? Whatever they said, you know, it's good. And it's crazy, but when they log in, it says free internet, DSL speed, higher speeds available for a purchase, right? Believe it or not, the people, they're just said, they just ignore it. So <laughs> they don't read it. Talking to the well, owner. They don't yeah, read the rules of the case. They don't, they don't read it. Andrew probably so, knows that. <laughs> how do you solve that? Because this park owner, this gentleman, he wasn't getting any complaints. And when I told him this, he said, I don't know if that's true because I don't get any complaints. I said, Dennis, go. Our Texan, your park right now, he has 11 names that you need to go talk to. So I said, just put yourself in their shoes. They're getting something free. Are they going to leave you a negative? They might not because you're not paying for it. So why would they go on the offensive and say this here? But now if they paid for it, that's a different story. There's a little, so the theory here is that dual stage did it work? So we don't recommend that. No, this is a okay. particular park that the park owner wanted that. But after we educated him on that, he was just blown away that all these people were complaining about the lower speed and they, it, it wasn't getting back to them because it was free. So we find 60 to 70. So now you end user here. Yeah. So what we did is a solution once we educated him to say, pick two or three spots. You can do it in the lobby. You can do it here. Pick as many as you want. Give it full speed because you don't want to limit the speed on the free because people don't read the notes in the, in their mind, they're thinking this internet's no good. So now they go into those areas. Do whatever you want. You could stream. That's how you're going to get sales up because they're like, wow, this works good. What about? So that's a good strategy. We've done over 700 parts and it works every time that tools, two stage speed, it did work so good. I would like to hear if anyone's got anything good on that. Again, I'm not disputing you. I'm in some ways I'm playing devil's advocate here, right? No, no. I'm just being an argumentative right, person right. that can get the data out of you, right? I, I can see how what you're saying actually could drive further revenue for parks. I can yeah. see if I'm Sandra, for example, and I install a system like that, and I want to do unlimited bandwidth near my cafe or near my vendors. Mm -hmm. 
so I can have more people congregate around there and drink coffee and buy bagels all day and whatever else. So I think there's ways to monetize that in that situation. I just, I was unclear about the disclosure. It seemed like you were wanting to be untransparent with people when you mentioned the good Sam guide and stuff like that. So that's why. No, you say free internet at these areas, not just free. They know up front. They're not driving all the way there and, oh, it's said free. But it said free and good Sam's in designated areas. So it's totally honest. Okay. But if you just left the word free, yeah, that would not be good. You know, now the monetized question that you asked, we also got the national standard and you might, these are interesting. So if you ever want to know how much revenue in a park, it generates per lot, we, we have that. We got a study that we did across 500 parks. And so a seasonal park in the Northern part of the U S that has a hundred lots. Okay. The range of the revenue, if you do the monetize is between a hundred and 175 for the season per lot. So now when a park owner is, this is with the areas and you charge them when they're in their camper. Yes. So we have the facts to educate the park owner with those facts and those analytics. Now they can make a good decision and they can clearly see I have 200 lots. So I'm going to make $20,000 for the six months. I can afford this. This is how we help educate the park owners. Because if you lease that on a $20,000, dollar system, for instance, divided by 60 months, this payment's going to be like 500 and some, but we just looked at it, 200 lots, they can depend on the low end 20,000. Now that average plays out anywhere in the US, even the worst part. So that's the range. So now they can look at that and they can say, if I buy a new system, so this is going back to your previous question, how do they pick whether they want to put new bathhouses or they need internet. Now they don't have to choose. So they, you can go with the national. That's what I'm trying to get to. We just had to, I just had to push you a little bit. Now we've got some good data. (laughs) We've got analytics and that's important to me. Like I run a marketing agency too for campgrounds and that's important to me. I just got, had a call with a guy this morning. I don't know if my Google ads are working. Well, I do because we're tracking it and we're showing you how much revenue you're getting back as a result of that. And so I can prove it to you. And so if we're diving into analytics and you can say, yeah, if that's, if that holds yep. statistic holds true, then yeah, you just, it's an education process and teaching people that so. holds true. And it's amazing because that opens, but you have to have the right technology to be able to do the free plus also monetizes it. So there's a lot of variables here, Absolutely, but uh, you just got to go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, I'm just saying, finish up your thoughts. I was just saying, we, we educate the consumer and then it becomes a no brainer question is, wait, I can make 20,000. So how much is that a month? That's like $1,500, more than 1500. My payment will be 500. Why can't I get this? So it's, it becomes a common sense question. I think so too. I think you, as long as you can show the data, you're right in most cases. Sandra, let's flip back to you a second. I really, I really want to get like live shots of the parks. I want to see all this beauty in person and I'm going to have to come out there. I'm curious, one, we should, are you open to doing more of a show focused on Nova Scotia's provincial parks? If I can figure out how to come out there, we can do some live shots from the actual parks. Cause I, oh, yeah. yeah. And I feel yeah. like I would love to chat with you like for a full hour about nature and the hiking and see some of the beautiful places and stuff like that. And I feel like we're not doing it justice with you sitting in an office and me sitting in an office. So. Good. That's my first question. I'll see if I can pitch Kara on that. Maybe we can get her to come out to you. My second question is for accommodations. Do you offer anything like cabins or glamping at your parks? Have you considered things like that? Yeah, just right now, two parks have roofed accommodations. So Cape Chignecto that I mentioned before has three cabins and a bunkhouse. And then in Wicogama, which is on Cape Breton Island, we have three yurts there that are available for booking. So yeah, mostly it's drive up camping, walk-in sites, and we have both serviced and unserviced sites. So for our reason that we have a two-way hookup in 11 of the 20 parks. All right. Last question, I think for Nova Scotia parks, even right now, even though I probably could ask 50 more, if I do come out there, how much time do I need to realistically get a sense of what Nova Scotia is? 
Yeah, I'd, I'd say a week. It's about seven hours to drive from end to end or maybe a little more. So if you want to hit like a, a few different coasts, a few different areas, yeah, I'd, I'd give yourself five to seven days to check everything out. Very cool. All right. That was one of my questions. We were actually looking at planning a vacation earlier. And how's September, by the way? Because I've heard beautiful people say it's too windy in September to come, or I don't know, but I don't know. Well, it's hurricane season. So yeah. yeah. But no, September's beautiful and a little quieter in the parks with kids back in school. And yeah, our tourism season goes till Thanksgiving, mid-October. So yes, it, it seems like our summers are getting longer and later. So September is still warm. The water is warm for Nova Scotia for swimming. And yeah, still lots of great stuff to see and do in September. All right. I think that's my target date. That's what I'm going to try to convince my girlfriend to come. So we'll see if we can make it out there in September. And, and if we do, we'll contact you and reach out to Hendrix. I'd love to at least do like a live show from one of the parks and talk to you about the beauty and all those kinds of things. So I think that's yep, awesome. that's great. I think we're almost out of time here. Demo and Neil, there is a comment we didn't get to. I didn't notice on LinkedIn. Someone asked a couple questions of you. We don't have time to cover it here at the end of the show. But if you want to jump on LinkedIn on my profile, if you're not connected with me, it's on Brian Cyril's stream. There's a couple of questions and guy with questions. I'm going to jump on and just answer them. After yeah, we'll do. Over. But other than that, thank you guys. I really appreciate you joining us. It's a weird, like awkward indoor show and it's our fifth of the month. So we didn't have as much action going on as we normally do here, but really appreciate you joining us, Sandra, sharing some insights into Nova Scotia's provincial parks, probably getting another tourist out there. So you did your promotion, right? You can check that off your list for today. I'll what, spend is that what, one-to-one marketing? I don't know. It worked, right? I'm probably not as efficient, but I'll spend some money out there and we'll, we're telling some people about it on the show. But really appreciate you joining us, sharing Nova Scotia's provincial parks. Demo, Neil, thank you for sharing your Thank expertise. you. Thank you for it's really fascinating to me all the data and the analytics and i hope that we as an industry can continue to push those things out there and be more transparent not just on our sales calls right although that's yes. but in general and education overall and in, in, in many cases that's going to end up selling skyweb networks but if it sells wi-fi in general if it makes a better camping experience for everybody in the industry both from a consumer and owner perspective then we're doing our jobs and we're helping out so thank you for inviting us, everyone. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for watching this episode of MC Fireside Chats, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. Have a suggestion for a future show or want to see your campground or company as part of an episode? Email us at hello at moderncampground.com. Join us next week for another episode. And don't miss the latest outdoor hospitality news and commentary from around the world at moderncampground.com. <laughs>